0: Imagine. It's 1999 on the south coast of England. You're one of a few followers of Jesus in a nation known as one of the most post-Christian places on earth. As you look around you, reading the news, talking with friends in the pub, listening to political rhetoric, you find yourself frequently discouraged, depressed, and even heartbroken. And the problems seem only to be getting worse Churches are closing left and right, destructive lifestyles are wreaking havoc in the lives all around you, and everywhere God is rejected, and some vague idea of human potential is praised. And that's just here in the West. Across the globe, humanity is closing out its bloodiest, most violent, most degrading century yet. What is there to do against such a tidal wave of brokenness? All the traditional techniques are falling flat. Friends, leaders, even pastors are jumping ship, leaving their faith behind. God, you find yourself asking over and over again. What are we supposed to do? You don't need a new technique. You need wisdom. Then your little church makes an announcement. For the next week, they've rented out a little space in town where they will set up a prayer room. Prayer, they explain, seems to be at the very center of following Jesus, and we are, as a church, not very good at it. So, for the next week, your little church is going to pray, taking shifts around the clock to try to seek Jesus to get to know him better and ask for his help. Sounds cool, you think? And you sign up for a few times to go sit in the pop-up prayer room but you leave the service still feeling dissatisfied spiritually exhausted by the mounting pressures of the culture around you you're looking forward to your prayer time but you also know the world around you has massive problems that need massive solutions feeling a little dry discouraged empty you go to work on monday as usual on your lunch break you walk the two blocks down the street to your church's prayer room. Some Bible verses are written on the wall. Some chairs and cushions are strewn around. A couple of other people are there, quietly praying. One is strumming a guitar with her eyes closed. You sink down into a chair, and take a deep breath, and try to focus on God. Not really sure where to start. You're still searching for the words to begin praying when suddenly you feel your heart lurch into your throat. Tears spring to your eyes, and without thinking, you get out of your chair and kneel down on the floor. You stay like this for an hour, just taking in the presence of God. Leaving the room, you walk back to work, but your discouragement is gone. You look around at the buildings and the billboards and passers-by, You're no longer depressed by what you see, weighed down by the culture's resolute shift away from God. Instead, you feel hopeful. You see possibilities, people Jesus loves, a world ready for God. The facts haven't changed. The world hasn't changed. But the presence of God seems to have changed you.
1: Yes, I am. Welcome to the These Days Podcast. This is Ben and Dwayne coming at you from uh, my house, which is also known as, what is it again? It's not your house, man. Sorry,
0: what is it? It's the Arctic Rainforest Oasis. Uh... In now it's more like a retreat center. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sort of, it's like the famous LaBrie Retreat Center in Switzerland. Oh, where right? all the
1: guys were the, the Swiss knickers. Yeah, yeah,
0: well, you know, in the sixties and seventies and eighties, all the intellectuals from Cambridge and Oxford and Harvard and Yale all kind of got despondent and came out there, and Francis Schaeffer taught them every day, and a lot of them became Christians. Pretty crazy. So I mean, we we're we're not pretending that people have gathered here at the Arctic Rainforest Oasis Retreat Center. To talk to us, I mean, because we have some pretty good guests, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. But there is a lot of people here already. You can hear them kind of harumphing over there. Yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah, lots yep. of harumphing yeah, going yep. on. Yep. it's going to be good. But anyway, you know, we've had we've had guests. We've had C.S. Lewis. We've had Bing Crosby. I don't know how he got in here, but yep. you know, yeah. uh, Einstein and. Uh, and uh, you know, Charles you know, I don't Spurgeon. think we've
1: actually had uh, Einstein yet. Oh, really? But we, yeah, we'll get there. Well, I'm somebody sure we'll get should there. call him up. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get him. This
0: is a perfect spot for him. We're,
1: we're working on a contract with his agent. Figure we'll out
0: what God, the word "God" really means. because yeah. hey, he wasn't too sure about
1: that. Yeah, that'd be, yeah, yeah. So we're already way off track. What? Yeah. Uh, but welcome back to the These Days podcast. This is uh, episode two of season four, and we are excited to keep going, talking about the resilient way of Jesus, or as you like to say. Theology for the people. Right. Oh, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, we're almost... we mentioned this last time, but we're almost at a year. We've almost been doing this for a year. Uh, and we started it because we wanted to do something for the people in our church during the pandemic, little did we know, yeah, did little did we know that we'd still be in the pandemic. Uh, but uh, and it's kind
0: of gone beyond the church, too. I mean, that's true, great, yeah, that's international true. audience, Ben.
1: Oh, yeah, so yeah. international, yeah, yeah. I mean, if we're in the especially, there's gotta yes. be international yes. crowd, yeah. okay? So, uh, yeah, without further ado, um, or without further distractions. You want to lead us into that cold open and that big idea?
0: Yeah, that's the description of a person who would have been in the church that was pastored by uh, Peter Gregg, an uh, uh, Englishman uh, who started the twenty four seven prayer movement back in uh, I, th- I think it did start ninety nine. Yeah, yep. and it was at a Mayus. He's he's a he's also a pastor at a Mayus Road uh, Church, and he has been on staff with. Uh, Nikki and Pippa Gumble, who are at uh, Holy Trinity Brompton in Lon- London uh, in the past, and actually he was an integral part of teaching the Alpha series that we've talked about a couple times. But I digress as I want to do, uh, but I, I, we thought it would be really great because today we're talking about wisdom and how being present with Jesus, is uh, really the only source to get real uh, wisdom, even in this world that seems to be, you know, l- you know, more and more quickly going toward the p- uh, post-Christian world, and and rather than get discouraged about it, uh, I think that s- story and, and the way uh, Pastor uh, Peter Craig uh, talks uh, really kind of leads us to a, a different perspective on it, and. And if you look at the New Testament, the book of Acts, like we did last week with our sort of theme verse of Acts uh, 4.13, when Peter and John get hauled before the Sanhedrin, before the council, uh, they are so articulate, and they speak—Peter uh, particularly speaks so wisely, and it's it's right after verse 8 where it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and then he spoke. I mean, he, he speaks in such a way that the wisdom is, is uh, palpable, really, because he— uh, he's able to speak so clearly that they can't refute it. And so they have to let him go in that sense. And, and I'm, I'm not, uh, we're not suggesting that, you know, somehow, uh, you know, we're going to be in that situation, but what we are in, uh, is uh, our challenging times. And, uh, there's a lot of people looking for answer and for help, uh, answers and help. Um, and, one of the issues of our time is we're living in sensory and fear overload. I mean, you can almost cut it with a knife, can't you? Um, we've got so much counterfeit wisdom these days. For example, sort of the knowledge gluttony that goes on every time, you know, we look at our phones or we go online and we find out really important information, like how many stripes are on a zebra. Uh, how many stripes are on a zebra, Ben? Do you know? I don't know, but I bet if Uh-oh. one of us hopped on our Uh-oh. phones, we could yeah. find out. Oh, yeah, but we could. <laughs> uh, but, you know... You know That's why we've made a conscious decision not to talk about the news of the day, because we are saying that most of the news cycles and the echo chambers, that's useful, useless information, too. It doesn't mean we should stick our head in the sand and not know what's going on. All that means is, is the tech overload and uh, social media and the way the Internet's working on us now through the algorithms and all those sorts of things. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's what the uh, creators of the algorithms are telling us. But... It's really short-circuited genuine wisdom, and um, the story of, of Peter uh, being uh, filled with the Spirit, and then then people in verse thirteen going, "You know what? What's interesting is they've been with Jesus. <laughs> is that you know they'd lived with Jesus, but it didn't stop when he ascended into heaven. They they continue to have a tutorial life with Jesus, if you will, um, uh, over time." Uh, in, in such a way that he he built up his wisdom in them, and that is one of the key components of being a resilient person, no matter what age or time or culture that you live in. And uh, you know, it, it, it's um, you know is recognized in in prayer in the church later on that we'll look at next week. There's a prayer of the early church right after Peter and John get let loose that uh, is going to even bring it home even further uh, for us. But for now. Um, I want to mention this book. There's a brand new book, and I mean brand new, but like this month book, by a guy named Brett McCracken, and uh, uh, he's a senior edis, editor for the Gospel Coalition. And I like I love that name McCracken. That's cool. Yeah, McCracken. Maybe like, release, me... release Brett McCracken. McCracken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, release the Kraken. Anyway, um, th- that is you know really making the round. It's really making the rounds, uh, and it can really be of help, I think, in these pandemic days. And uh, first, I want to show you how he describes the status quo. You know what the status quo means, Ben? Uh, no. It's Latin for the mess we are in. So here we are. <laughs> Ready? <laughs> oh, uh, man, that was yeah. real painful, man. <laughs> that yeah, was such yeah. a bad joke. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got it from my dad. It's good enough for you. Okay, so here we go. <clears throat> Here's what he says, though, opening up really uh, 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 some a powerful description of where we are. Our world has more and more information, but less and less wisdom, more data, less clarity, more stimulation, less synthesis, more distraction, less stillness, more pontificating, less pondering, more opinion, less research, more speaking, less listening, more look at, less, less to see, more to look at, less to see, more amusements, less joy. There is more but we are less. We feel it. Oxford Dictionaries declared, quote-unquote, post-truth the intellectual word of the year in 2016, defined as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. Man, we're still on that on uh, steroids. When we can't relate to others, we retreat further into our individualistic, self-referential bubbles, which is not an environment where wisdom can grow. So what do we do about these bad dietary habits, that is, our diets of our brains and hearts, uh, dietary habits that are poisoning our souls? Shouldn't Christians, as followers of the man who called himself the truth, John fourteen six, and said... The truth will set you free, John 8, 32. He be, shouldn't he be leading the charge to recover truth and model wisdom in a post-truth age? And, you know, it sure feels that way. Uh, and uh, why don't you take us into what we might be able to do about that, Ben?
1: Sure, yeah. So uh, we're talking about um, where wis- wisdom comes from, wisdom to navigate, wisdom to... Engage what's going on uh, without just becoming overwhelmed with the amount of knowledge, but not actually having wisdom to know how to respond and how to move through it and how to engage it well. Um, and we really think, in regards to the scriptures, anyway, and the way they talk about this kind of wisdom, comes from prayer. And we're going to look at some scriptures that talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but there's a connection between wisdom and prayer. And when we be, when we uh, when we come to be with Jesus in prayer, we actually find real wisdom imparted to us. We can, can start to see things the way God sees things. We know a little better how to navigate the minefield and pitfalls of the world around us. There's another very recent book by a guy named Tom Rainer, who's sort of a uh, church coach, former pastor, and kind of a researcher as well. Sort of like a
0: George Barnick type dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and he uh, he released a book very recently called The Post-Quarantine Church. Uh, which sounds fairly useful yeah, <laughs> in the coming I so. months. Uh, and he says Times he, they he,
0: are a change.
1: <laughs> he says he sees some things changing regarding, regarding prayer specifically in churches around the globe. He says, uh, will we look back on the pandemic as the beginning of a new spiritual awakening across the globe? we saw prayer taken to a new and profound level during the quarantine, if we are obedient to continue to be houses of prayer... He's talking about how churches are called to be houses of prayer for the nation, Just like the
0: 24-7 prayer movement?
1: That's right. If a perpetual posture of prayer truly takes root in our churches, we might say the pandemic was used by God in a powerful way like few events we have ever known. And so uh, what, what he's saying is that we might look back on this time as we let God really teach us to uh, go deeper and deeper into prayer, to become houses of prayer and people of prayer. Uh, we might look back on COVID and, and say see that one of the things that it had to teach us is to really spend time with Jesus in prayer. Uh, This is from Colossians 1, verse 9. It says, "...for this reason, since the day we heard about you..." This is Paul right, writing to the church in Colossae. "...from the day we first heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with knowledge..." the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And so he's talking about how, uh, as Christians, we're meant to pray for wisdom, wisdom for our churches, for the church across the globe, for ourselves, for individual families, for our uh, the, the people that are believers around us, wisdom uh, and understanding that the Spirit gives as far as how to live as gospel-shaped people in the world. Uh, In in the book we mentioned before, the Wisdom Pyramid, which has a cover that looks like the nutritional pyramid. Yeah, I think that's where
0: he got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It actually says in the beginning of the book that's where he
1: got it. Look at that. Wow. You are brilliant. Maybe I should have written that. Maybe you should (laughs) have. Maybe
0: you have the wisdom Uh, of the pyramid.
1: uh, He really makes this point well. Britt McCracken really makes this point well. It says wisdom isn't just about concepts it's about the orientation of our time and energy the postures that shape our hearts often this, at subconscious levels prayer for example is a crucial Prayer is a crucial habit for gaining wisdom, not only because the Bible says gaining wisdom can be as simple as praying for it, one of those verses we just referenced, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But also because the posture of prayer itself cultivates wisdom. Every prayer is a rebuttal to the look-within logic of our age, that is, you'll find what you need just within yourself. To pray is to acknowledge that we don't have the answers ourselves. We don't have sufficient wisdom to make complex decisions. We must humbly turn to God, the giver of wisdom. Seeking his guidance in all things, we are utterly reliant on him.
0: Yeah, boy, that just listening to that, uh, you know, just kind of gives you this sense of, uh, you know, letting your breath out slowly kind of thing. Kind of like what Eugene Peterson uh, told us about last episode about just relax. (laughs) God's (laughs) got this. I, I love that part. But, you know, Ben, I was listening on the way out here. Yeah. To the last week's podcast. Uh Uh-oh, that's dangerous. And I I realized that I was talking so fast, I don't know why I was hepped up, but I actually said, uh, I want to talk to you about the Brazilian way of Jesus. I I, I don't even know what I was going for there. I don't know how Brazil got in there. The Brazilian way of Jesus. I don't know. I I mean, that wasn't even a joke we were throwing around anyway. So that's kind of the way it is. But what that resonates with when McCracken talks about, you know... This kind of gaining the kind of wisdom that kind of sets things to right and humbly turn to God and, you know, quit trying to, you know, think, act like, you know, we've got the whole world on our shoulders. I mean, there's something about it that just kind of makes us go, ah, you know, And, and I think it doesn't just go that way for Christians. I don't think that just goes that way for religious people. I think it goes that way for everybody. I mean, there still is, and I think there always will be, a hunger for real-life wisdom and an attraction to wise people. In this culture, even if it's post-truth or not, doesn't matter. It's sort of what uh, T.S. Eliot said when he said, Where is wisdom that we have lost in knowledge, and where is the knowledge we have lost in information? Uh, That guy he lived what 80 years ago but that was like prophetic he yeah. didn't, he didn't even know about the iphone then
1: you know that makes me think of the we always hunger for real life wisdom it makes me think of when jesus or when people were looking at jesus and said they were amazed because they, he spoke as one with real authority or that real life wisdom not yeah. as the teachers of the law and the pharisees yeah. what he was saying was actually connecting to their lives
0: yeah yeah that's good uh that and and that's the scripture is just full of that those situations i and uh, you're going to you're going to laugh at me Ben, but I got an example here. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah. Good. And, and, I like and, laughing at you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and if your mom hears this, she's really going to laugh at me. But, okay. but you know, I was listening to the uh, soundtrack of the new PBS BBC show all creatures great and small.
1: Oh, that's some good music right when, there. Yeah, it's when like, I put this again, so it's so happy. Like, and, it's like peaceful but very happy. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: It's a remake of James Harriet's book by the same name. You know, went like wasn't it the seventies and eighties they had a long run of, yeah. of shows? Yeah. Well, this is a remake of it. Just started in twenty twenty one. Just started this month. And um, it takes place in Yorkshire, England in the 30s and 40s. And you probably know by now that we've kind of got a, a Jones for uh, that part of the world.
1: For Yorkshire. Uh, yeah. With the Yorkshire <laughs> accents. Okay. okay.
0: Yeah, so you're trained in accents, but you won't allow me to do that. But, no, 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 yeah, no, 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 yeah. no, no. But it, it's, all, it's all right. But um, <laughs> but um, been wondering, you know, why I'm so attracted to it. Because, you know, it's just your base, basic feel-good story. I, and honestly, okay, I'm going to admit something here on... The recording okay. on the podcast. I wasn't all that interested in Downton Abbey. No, that's so, okay. so are you yeah, fans? I, I, I just wanted to watch it with your mom. That's oh, sure, why I sure. was into no, that that's so, Yeah, but so I'm thinking, why am I into this? Because it's sort of like that kind of ilk, and but it, but it's normal people. I think it's
1: the same director actually.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah, he does a really good job. But you know, I think what it is is that there's something that draws us to the values of a simpler time and with regular people like us who operated on a kind of common wisdom. And it's not perfect. It's just simpler. Uh, and they were normal people, you know, an hour and a half e- uh, you know, or so away from them. Uh, it was Cambridge and Oxford where the elites were already working hard to deconstruct everyday reality, which they have been successful or not so successful in different degrees to this time. But now, you know, out there in the small towns, is there something about that kind of sense of, values that lead to wisdom about how to live and how to treat each other and again it's not perfect it's not necessarily Christian it's just ah you know this starts this makes sense and you know uh, we don't have to just pine and pine for wisdom. That's the thing. Uh, James has a great statement about where to find wisdom. Right up front in the first chapter of James, it says, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. In other words, you're in a tumultuous situation which, with a, you know, a turmoil in the culture and everything else. Uh, or just in your own life. Because you know that testing of your faith produces perseverance. And I never really liked those verses as much. But until I put the connection with these next verses, verse four of chapter one of James, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Remember last week? It's not on us, it's on him. And it will be given to you. I mean, doesn't that sound good? That just sounds good to me. Uh, and, And the case that we're making is that the longing for that kind of wisdom is still pulling on us in these days? Uh, Jesus uh, has not left uh, the culture, has not left the world, has not left the building. He is—he has uh, a prior claim on our hearts and minds, whether we know it or not, whether we're not believe, even if we're not believers, uh, we don't have anything to do with them. He still has a prior claim, and that day of real wisdom for everyone can happen again even uh, out of these particularly difficult times. And along those lines, my head has been uh, blown up uh, from listening to a re- uh, and reading a new book um, that was out about a year ago, late 2019. Uh, I just found out about it because uh, m- a couple of my sons got it for Christmas. And it's I think it's about 500 pages, this thing. It's called Dominion. It's by a historian who's written other things about the Roman Empire and whatnot uh, by the name of Tom Holland. And the thing about Tom Holland is he's not a believer. He's not uh, in the evangelical sense so-called. You know. And I, I got this book, though, from—or uh, I got the recommendation from uh, Tim Keller, uh, who on the Gospel Coalition did a review of this book, and he says, you know, you really should read it. Um, but here's what in the, in the introduction about why he wrote this book and why he chose this, this subject, the subject is how Christianity made it out of the first century. How in the world could it go from a guy who had died on a cross all the way through uh, up to our time and still have such a strong resonance? Uh, and, but here's what he says. He says, over the course of the past two decades, my perspective has changed. The more time I spent immersed in the study of classical antiquity, so the more alien I increasingly found it. Now listen to this. Remember, he's he's not a believer. He was, one, he was a very outspoken uh, agnostic and even an atheist just a few years ago. The values of Caesar, who was reported to have killed millions of Gauls and enslaved a million more, unsettled me. Why did I find this disturbing? Because in my morals and ethics, I was not a Spartan or a Roman at all. That my belief in God had... F- though though my belief in God had faded over the course of my teenage years, did not mean that I had ceased to be Christian. So he's using that in the general sense, in terms of the values of Christianity. So profound has been the impact of Christianity on the development of the Western civilization that it has come to be hidden from view, it is, to coin a phrase, the greatest story ever told. And That's just interesting to me. I mean, the values of Christians living like Christians in the wisdom of Christ, have really not gone anywhere. And and what Jesus started uh, will never be eradicated, uh, but will continue to grow like that mustard seed Jesus talked about. And really, even though so many people don't think it or don't pay attention to it, that's really what everybody really is longing for. And when they see it, they just might be attracted to it.
1: Yeah, that's great. So the we look around and we see um, the world kind of spinning its wheels in a lot of different directions, uh, and it can be quite overwhelming to know how to respond to uh, the, all the different viewpoints and ideas coming at us and the upset of uh, of things, and where where is God really? You know, Jesus is still here, He's still working, it hasn't been eradicated, but it can be so bewildering that we really do need that wisdom, and I think a big challenge of finding that wisdom is all the ideas, ideologies, opinions, facts being being thrown at us all the time. We have more access to information than ever before, and uh, it's really interesting to me that we uh, we find ourselves in a time when we are just so desperate for some form of truth with a capital T that isn't going to change moment to moment. And yet we've never had more access to ideas and to information than we do right now. We have all these uh, uh, time-sucking, I mean time-saving devices <laughs> <laughs> that we go to over and over and over again. And, uh, and it's really interesting to me that um, in, a, in a time that so desperately needs truth. There seems to be this uh, this rise in mere information, or maybe knowledge instead of wisdom. You could say, um, and it seems to me that that's not on accident. The distracted nature of the world today, the distracted nature of our souls and our minds today, the the noise of information that's all around us. It seems to me that that may not be an accident. That may actually be a plan. Um, in fact, I have this book in my hand, the Screwtape Letters. If you've ever read it, it's by a guy that um, uh, we might have mentioned him before. I'm not really um. sure. His name's C.S. Lewis. Oh yeah, <laughs> Saint yeah. Louis wrote this book, and uh, he uh, he. This is a. If you've never read this book, it's an excellent place to start with C.S. Lewis, and it is a, a, a series of letters. From a demon, a senior demon, to a lesser demon, about how to <laughs> how, basically how to control and uh, and uh, take care of your what he calls the patient. So yeah. when they talk about our father, they mean the devil, and when they talk yeah. about the enemy, they mean God. Hey, wait, wait, wait!
0: Can you do this like in a demon accent? Oh yes, of course. Kind of like no, I'm not going to. Little gullum, <laughs> my precious, yeah, my yes, precious. Yeah. No, no, I'm not going to. Okay, good. Uh, That's probably c- Can I? Yes. yes. Will yes. I? No. No. Point.
1: Okay. So uh, <laughs> the bottom of of. Uh, of well, page 119, not that you care, Uh, he says this, this is Screwtape, the, the demon, he says, music and silence, how I detest them both, how thankful we should be that our Father Ever since our father entered hell, though longer ago than humans reckoning in light years could express, no square inch of infernal space and no moment of infernal time has been surrendered to either of those abominable forces, but all has been occupied by noise with a capital N. Noise, the grand dynamism, the audible expression of all that is exultant, ruthless, and virile, Noise, which alone defends us from silly qualms, despairing scruples, and impossible desires. We will make the whole universe a noise in the end. We have already made great strides in this direction as regards the earth. The melodies and silences of heaven will be shouted down in the end. But I admit, we are not yet loud enough or anything like it. Research is in progress. Meanwhile, you disgusting little... Here, the manuscript breaks off and is resumed in a different hand. <laughs> in the heat of composition, I find that I've inadvertently allowed myself to a form, uh, to, to assume the form of a large centipede. <laughs> I am accordingly dictating the rest to my secretary. That's brilliant. Uh, but I love how he says that. He's talking about how um, they the, that the enemy wants to just bring about noise, more, more chaos, more of that white noise that just sort of distracts our minds, makes it impossible to really find focus, to really see the truth in any situation. And I love that he says, we've already made great strides about this on the earth, and this book was written in the 1940s. Mm. And then he says, "Uh, but we're not loud enough, research is in progress. And I think, are we seeing some of the fruits of that research today? Mm. Uh, Are we seeing some of the successes of that plan to make the world a more noisy, cluttered, chaotic place Mm. where it's hard to really see the truth or wisdom? In fact, this. Dad is yeah. why I made a very specific choice in my life this last year yeah. that the family continues to give me so much grief about. <laughs> rightly so, rightly so. I, I understand. It is fun to to jab. But uh, I I got rid of my smartphone, and I got what I affectionately call a dumb phone uh, that doesn't have internet access, doesn't have all that kind of stuff on it. It has a few things. It has like uh, the possibility to do podcasts, and I can text and call, of course. But it's just a much less uh, all-consuming device. And the whole point of it was actually, actually, uh, it was Eugene Peterson that told me to do it. Um, Wait, wait,
0: wait, wait, okay, okay, now you got my, sorry, I was checking out uh, how many, on my iPhone, how many uh, (laughs) striped zebras had. Nice, 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 nice. But but how did Eugene Peterson tell you to do anything, Ben? He's not alive. Yeah,
1: I know. Well, he came to me in a dream. No, uh, actually, he was in a podcast I listened to, and he said, we need, (laughs) you know, when he was older, he had this, there's really, a yeah, really raspy, raspy voice, raspy voice. Yeah. and he said well if we really want to see god the first thing we need to do is is get rid of our sharp phones is that what they're called sharp phones And the, mo- <laughs> the moderator was like you mean smartphones yeah smartphones yeah. but what he it's was talking one about the smartest is- things he ever said <laughs> we talked about all this clutter <laughs> that uh invades our our life and our prayer space and what i've actually i found myself being uh at first a lot more bored <laughs> in just normal situations, waiting in lines and that sort of thing and waiting in traffic or whatever. But then I started to find myself praying a lot more, which is really interesting uh, shift uh, just by the, the sake of, of getting away from the phone. And I'm not saying not everybody needs to do that. A lot of people have better self-discipline than I do when it comes to their smartphone. Are you going
0: to do a commercial for the little credit card that oh yeah, phone that you have? I got
1: a little phone called the Light Phone. I'm a big fan of it, yes. but uh, and th- their tagline is "a phone for humans." <laughs> huh. uh, but I I think a lot of people have better self discipline than I do with their smartphones. So I'm not saying I'm not trying to say that everyone should, but we should be aware. I think of all the ways that this noise that we just heard about can invade our thinking and make it impossible for us to actually quiet ourselves enough in prayer to receive that wisdom from God. Uh, Mark Sayers makes a point about the need for that sort of unhurried space where God can reshape our mindset and our priorities. In his book, Reappearing Church, he says this, Do we sense the possibilities of embodied and enfleshed Christian community in a time of disembodied isolation? In a time of anxiety and mental exhaustion, are we seeing the rich traditions of prayer, contemplation, and meditation upon God as antidotes to our exhausted brains? In in a time of social fracturing and cultural polarization, do we understand the power of places that exist Uh, 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 the powerful place that exists at the communion table. I love the way he sort of uh, opposes these. He says we have this time of disembodied isolation where we're we're all trying to live online, which is actually not a place, right? It's just in our heads. Mm -hmm. We're all trying to live online, but what about... Uh, the fact that Jesus, the Word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson translates it, that God actually comes in flesh, in, in an embodied reality, and that our our life as Christians is not just about what we type out online, not just about what we read online, not about what we listen to online, but it's actually about our real life, time and space, in the flesh, lives, and the way we, we interact with, with the world around us. And I also like that he points out in a time of anxiety, mental exhaustion, maybe prayer, the presence of God, deep meditation and contemplation, Upon God is actually the antidote for our exhausted brain. And when he talks about the social fracturing and cultural polarization, I don't know. I don't know if we have that problem these days, do we? The yeah. social fracturing, uh, the cultural yes. polarization? I think so. Yeah, maybe. Uh, he talks about how uh, in Christ at the communion table, all kinds of people are reconciled to each other because they have common ground in Jesus.
0: And the tech helps make the fracturing continue to grow larger and larger.
1: Yeah, it's true. A lot of these problems are exacerbated by the fact that we uh, sort of uh, just take in more and more and more and more and more content and are... uh, Actually, I heard a quote from Brett McCracken this week, that we haven't mentioned yet, so I'm just going to say it. Go for it. He said something about how uh, our media diet is directly related to the health of health of our souls, which mm-hmm. is such a simple way of putting that, that as we just take all this in and all this yeah. information, all these opinions and ideas, it actually starts to erode the health of our souls. And it made me think about this quote by Mark Sayers we just read, it made me think about Psalm 16, one of my favorite psalms, and the very last verse of that psalm says, You make known, you being God, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And if we just can slow down and get into the presence of Jesus uh, and spend some time there, then he's actually going to satisfy us, fill us with, uh, with uh, not only joy, but also a sense of God knows where this is going, and I can sort of see the world through his eyes from a place of joy. In Proverbs 2, verse 6, it says, For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And uh, I I think when, when we look at that in the context of Jesus, we see that what it's saying is being with Jesus is a place of very practical training and flourishing for life. It actually affects the way we live, the way we see, the way we talk, the way we do anything. By just being with Jesus. So why wouldn't we want to be with Jesus throughout our days? At school, at work, at home, wherever we are. Maybe you're always at home these days. Uh, We want to uh, walk with Jesus through these days, because wherever we are with him, we learn learn his wisdom, and we learn about how to flourish in the world. And uh, I think that's the best kind of training we could possibly get, the best kind of information we could possibly have, is how to live well.
0: Yeah, I think that's uh, about time for some takeaways. I I think that one of the things uh, that it's important to realize is that it's like McCracken says in another place, I'm going to quote him again, uh, and I'll share the book with you at the end here, too. But he says, everybody's got a megaphone, but nobody's got... uh, in this tech world, everybody's got a megaphone, but nobody has the wisdom on how to use it. <laughs> so, That's true. Yeah, let me it's, tell you, I it,
1: use a megaphone a lot for my job as oh, a yeah. camp director. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, the the you know, little junior hire is always like, "Hey, can I try the megaphone?" And I yeah. say, "Sure." And I hand it to him, and they go, "Uh, I don't know yeah. what to say." <laughs> and they say that into the megaphone. And I think, yeah, you gotta have something to say if you want a megaphone.
0: Are you are you one of those guys like the camp movies where they show kids running around and he's got the really funny looking clothes and the high shorts and stuff like that. Are you,
1: are you thinking, what, what movie are you thinking of? Well, you
0: know, uh, you know, just some of those comedy movies about kids. It'd no, I don't, I them. don't have the
1: short shorts. Okay, I okay. I do sometimes use a megaphone. Okay. Oh, interesting. That's good.
0: <laughs> uh, I didn't think so, but, but yeah, you know, uh, you know, it's been said that, uh, and this is more true today than it's ever been true, uh, before, I think because of the tech, uh, and, uh, And it's this, the only exercise some people take is uh, jumping to the wrong conclusions. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, I have to say, I have to admit that uh, the other day, just uh, a couple days ago, I was having a discussion with someone about an email that had come through, and uh, we were from a person who's really great and a person we really love, and we go, did they mean that? And so forth, and then, you know, first blush, first impression... um, and, uh, you know, ju- we, it was easy to jump to the wrong conclusions. And then as we thought about it, that we thought about five different other ways that they could have said it that was very positive, and exactly, that's, that, that, it turns out that's what they meant. So, uh, you know, w- it would be really great if we had the wisdom to step back and pause, and the way we get that is through Jesus. And it's, it's a major part of uh, the resilient way of Jesus. And again, to quote uh, Mark Sayers from The Reappearing Church one more time, we must allow the eternity uh, that is Jesus, we must allow Jesus to reshape our life patterns and do this, and the fabric of our lives will be oriented around renewal. In other words, God will do something. He will He will use us. That's his plan, and he doesn't have a, a backup plan. He wants to use his people for Uh, really um, making things new again and restoring people's lives and reaching hurt people and and healing this society. Uh, And uh, it's going to take all of his wisdom uh, flowing through us for that to happen. I want to sort of quote, uh, or uh, not sort of, I want to quote a psalm or a part of a psalm, three verses of Psalm 1, about wisdom and where it comes from and what, has ha- what, ha- what happens when you don't have it and what happens when you do have it. And I would just suggest that you take Psalm 1, 1 to 3, and maybe use it this week as a prayer uh, for, for wisdom. Uh, if you want to put your name in it, uh, do that. But here's how it goes. Blessed is the one, that's where you could put your name in, who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take. Or sit in a a company of mockers. How about that? A company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. That tree planted by uh, streams of living water I don't see anything in there about uh, tearing up the soil anywhere else. It's just talking about the transformation of a person and letting God take care of everything else. Mm -hmm. That's a good word. So I think that's maybe where we stop today, Ben.
1: That sounds good. I think that means it's uh, time for that, you know, special time of the episode. You you mean books and books? And why do you keep whispering it? Because,
0: (laughs) Because it's cool
1: books and stuff books and
0: stuff <laughs> books and stuff oh yeah yeah okay i do have a book this week and you, you can guess i'll give you one guess which one it is uh
1: is it peter cottontail nope okay
0: nope although that's a fun one uh i just read uh, grandkids uh, ferdinand the other night that's another good one kind of like that um the Wisdom Pyramid by Brett McCracken, editor of thegospelcoalition.com. I told folks on Sunday that you can find his sort of summary of the book or his summary of his conclusion in an article on thegospelcoalition.com. Uh, that's all one word, The Gospel Coalition. Uh, and uh, the, the title of the article is How to Weather the uh, Trust Crisis. Uh, the, the growing trust crisis, I think it is. But it's a good a good article and a helpful book. Uh, just encourage you to check it out if you uh, want to. Do you have a book or a stuff, Ben?
1: I do have a book. Um, we talked about it in the cold open a little bit. The story in the cold open is sort of told in... Um, I mean, that was a sort of fictional story, but the story of the 24-7 prayer movement is told in a book by Pete Gregg. He has a book called Red Moon Rising that's sort of about the launch of that. But uh, the book I've been into lately is a later book that he wrote, I think in 2017, called dirty glory great name great title <laughs> for a book dirty uh, glory uh, it's about basically the the first 20 years of the 20th century and, or sorry 21st century and how 24/7 prayer that movement that sort of went viral from that one little place in England suddenly there are 10,000 different prayer rooms with continuous prayer for every minute of the 21st century so far and how they're seeing God move and the cool thing about that is in regards to wisdom, Uh, They really started by going, we don't know what we're doing, God, so we're just going to pray. And God started showing them opportunities and showing them new things he wanted them to do. And they're kind of at the forefront of culture change and mission right now. Uh, And all of that came from just humbling themselves in prayer and letting God speak uh, about what he wanted them to do and give them some wisdom. So uh, it's also, by the way, I'll say it's a great book to listen to on audio. Some books are a little too heady for that. You have to really focus. And But th- he just tells a lot of really good stories, weaves in a lot of scripture, and it's very easy to listen to on audio. So Dirty Glory by Pete Gregg. Great book.
0: Good, Rick. Well, I think uh, that's a wrap uh, here in the Oasis uh, Retreat Center. Arctic. In, in Arctic yeah <laughs> what, and,
1: what else was it the Oasis Arctic Inn retreat center no 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 <laughs> the
0: Arctic Rainforest Oasis retreat center got it yeah yeah which that'll morph next week don't worry about it cool uh, but uh, since uh, I am but a mere hobbit and since I haven't gotten to do any accents uh, this podcast ben, uh, Uh-oh. so Uh-oh. I'm gonna say what Bilbo said Uh-oh. at his and, and, and 111st birthday uh oh We'll be going now.